Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC-FM and WTIC.com. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by two reporters from the state capitol. Christine Stewart, editor-in-chief at ctnewsjunkie.com and Ken Dixon, Capitol Bureau Chief for Hearst Connecticut Media. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Hi, Aaron. We're talking about the biggest political stories of 2017 and a look ahead to 2018. Connecticut was without a state budget for a third of the year, Governor Malloy keeping the lights on by executive order. There have been budget stalemates in the past, but will we look back years from now and say 2017 was the granddaddy of them all, you think? I think so. I mean, um, history tells us that that's, that's the case at the moment. Um, you know, the budget was signed on October 31st. Uh, this was also the first time that Republicans voted for a state budget in 10 years. So I think we see um, the numbers um, that voters gave um, the legislature in 2016 definitely played a role. With an evenly split Senate and a smaller margin in the House. Correct. Yep. I think it's more like a grandmother, you know, <laughs> accent on the second <laughs> word. Yeah, yeah never ending never finishing still and it's going to roll into 2018. Yeah, so I think that the budget and the problems that we're going to see um are continuing problems. I don't think that they've resolved this. We do have a balanced budget amendment, so every time the budget is out of balance, they have to go back and fix it. So um I think that this problem's going to play out and that revenues are probably likely going to drop um, further than was estimated in January, and they're going to have an even bigger problem on their hands. Christine, do you believe, do you buy into the theory that after the 2008 recession, the higher paying jobs migrated out and it was the lower paying service jobs that have filled in to equal those um, employment numbers from That is responsible for that? I, I think some of the exodus um, of the population, uh, you know, it can contribute to to some of that. I think that also that the highest income earners were not taking um, were not taking any income and waiting for the federal government to do this tax package before taking any income. So there wasn't any tax revenue to be had in the past few years. Yeah, I like that capital gains yeah yeah for years republicans really were on the sidelines with with democrats in the majority in both the, the house and the senate and governor malloy together they could pass a budget without republicans now it's interesting that republicans find themselves having to defend a budget they helped to craft and was implemented yeah that's like the only thing the democrats have to hit them over the head with because the republicans all they have to do is say two largest tax increases ever vote for us goodbye democratic majorities hello 2018 
Yeah. So, well, it should be interesting to see, you know, a, a recent poll said that basically voters are split as far as uh, whether a Democrat or a Republican should be the next governor. And I think that they're, you know, I don't know how many candidates are there? 50. 50. I was, I was like 37, 50. <laughs> um, so it should be interesting to see what happens, what voters do if they give a, the legislature, the Republicans, the power in the legislature and then elect another Democrat as governor. And we'll talk about the 2018 race for, for governor in a bit. But first, this question is for both of you. Covering the, the months long budget stalemate, what were some of the most noteworthy elements that really stuck out to you in your reporting? I became... Uh, a lot closer friends with TV camera operators as we were sitting in the Capitol for hours on end waiting to be told nothing by leaders who were pretending that they were getting along. And that happened time after time, didn't no, it? No, it was over weeks. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, the the, the stakeouts were uh, unpleasant uh, in Un, you know, not favorable conditions and, and waiting for somebody to say nothing was not um it kind of ruined our summers <laughs> yeah there was no summer but we had to do it because sooner or later they were going to have that breakthrough and it was at like two o'clock in the morning that one morning it was ugh, it was gross yeah yeah no it definitely it definitely was and then you know a few weeks later the budget's still out of balance mm-hmm. so they didn't they didn't figure it out and this is a story, as you noted, that will continue into 2018. Do you think the budget will continue to loom large as we get closer to Election Day and the entire General Assembly and the constitutional officers are, are up for election? Well, I think they've got to tie this thing up pretty soon. You know, I mean, that January 15th cons- uh, consensus revenue date, um, but it, it really depends on how much more revenue is, you know, sliding away. We're, we're going to have to see whether they learned anything from not passing a budget before they adjourned the last time. And and we'll see, you know, because if they had, I, I would premise that if they had ripped the Band-Aid off at the end of, of June uh, and, and not had to spend the entire summer trying to negotiate, you know, the, the budget might not look like what it looks like now, but um, they might have been in better shape going into 2018 as a re-election year. Right, and we wouldn't have to squint uh, um, like moles every time we come out of the Capitol during daylight. No. <laughs> yeah, we're all nocturnal creatures now. <laughs> it would be rare to see proposals for higher taxes, maybe tolls in an election year, but do you think that is in the direction we're heading? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. They have to, but they're. Not, I, I can't see how they can do it. They uh, Okay, so... On the ballot in November 2018, we're going to have this lockbox. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to get that lockbox locked down before they said the word tolls. Uh, but I don't think that they're going to be able to get away with it because the um, de- the deficit in the special transportation fund uh, accelerated to the point where right now, if you want to continue to maintain the highways we have and the rails and the buses um, as they are, and operate them as they are with the improvements that are happening, you would have to raise the gas tax 28 cents. Now, the lockbox is designed to prevent lawmakers from raiding the special transportation fund for other purposes, but Republicans have contended that there are holes in the lockbox proposal. Are there? After screaming for years about a lockbox proposal? 
Chances are, yeah, you can get a lawyer to say that there are loopholes in, in everything. Sp- uh, special transportation fund for listeners is uh, funded by the gas tax, a gross receipts tax on petroleum sales, and uh, what else? Uh, the half a percent of the sales tax. Oh, right. Thanks. Yeah. So essentially, we have two gas taxes in Connecticut: the gross receipts and then the the, the per gallon gas tax. Right. Correct. Right. Um, but gas prices are so low, people are driving more electric cars, so it's not bringing in as much as it right. used to, um, and so it's it's dropping off. Or at least that's what Malloy's saying, with the twenty eight cents also. I mean, true. But if there's nothing left in it, then you can't go to the bond market and you can't bond for transportation funds with zero. They've also been. Rating it big time, like that was their little way to balance spending you know, right. by pulling from the STF. Covering the Capitol over the past year, it seems we have seen many more stories about Connecticut politicians weighing in about what's happening in Washington. Is this simply because Connecticut is a blue state with Congress and the White House controlled by Republicans, or is there more to it than that? Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, our delegation is all Democrats, so um, and certainly we're in a Looking at that Republican tax package that's on the verge of passing here on the day we record this, um, a lot of people uh, with higher-priced houses are going to find that a lot of their mortgage interest and um, and state and local tax taxes is not going to be included in the equation, and they're going to end up paying more. It's a Northeast and California and New York thing. Yeah, I, I think with the election of of Trump too, that you know there've been um, there's been a desire uh, by some to connect Republicans in Connecticut to the president, and I think that um, the president has so many idiosyncrasies that um, it's going to be tough to tie local Republicans to um, this president, but. It's something that the Democratic Party is probably going to try to do in 2018. And they arguably succeeded in uh, last month uh, during the municipal elections, um, even even in the solid red Naugatuck Valley uh, from Waterbury down to Stratford. Um, there were some f- flips from R's to D's. And But is that, um, you know, is that so much the... the movement or the people that Trump has inspired to get into politics that may have been sitting on the sidelines before and not necessarily like, you know, specifically anti-Trump? I, I don't know. It, I, You know, reading the stories, I, I didn't totally buy into this anti-Trump backlash thing. But I mean, you can look at the list of towns that flipped and there's argue you could argue about it and you know, that's like it's like who's going to win the Major League Baseball next year? You know, right. it's like hot stove politics. One Ooh. other interesting nugget: the with the news cycles being dominated by the president and often his tweets, Quinnipiac University has not polled in Connecticut in what a year and a half, right? Something like that. It's been more than a year and a half. It was uh, June, June 2016 yeah. was the last poll about Red Sox or Yankees. And Malloy. <laughs> and Malloy, yes. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, I think we saw Sacred Heart University try to step up mm-hmm. and, and begin, you know, trying to fill this this void. Um, I think that 
lawmakers struggled not having any information about public policies and what you know Connecticut voters might be thinking. And that was the value of the Quinnipiac University poll was that they actually had registered voters that they were calling and asking these these questions to. So it wasn't just some Connecticut resident um, who may not go to the polls. It was it was a Connecticut resident who had recently voted in the past. They're making more money doing national national stuff. I think that's what the 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 calculus is down there. Well, and that's that's what happened with um, so once the election happened and everybody had all this interest in uh, national politics and Trump and and what would happen with the White House, um, there was just total attention. Um, also from the big guys, from Google, from Facebook, the algorithms changed um, to favor national news. So you're more likely to see national news in your, your Facebook stream than you are to see something that, that Ken or I write. Um, so you should seek us out. Uh, I retweet almost everything you write. No, I, well, I was just giving us a plug that you should seek out our bylines and you know read our stuff because there's important stuff happening in Connecticut. And at well, the halfway point in the program, you are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Christine Stewart, Editor-in-Chief for CTNewsJunkie.com, and Ken Dixon, Capitol Bureau Chief for Hearst Connecticut Media. One of the other changes we saw at the state capitol this year was... CTN, the network owned by the legislature to cover the three branches of government, which until recently was operated by a private outfit and now has been taken over by the legislature itself. Well, the legislature always operated it. It was just under a contract with the Connecticut Public Affairs um, Network. So, you know, that was also something that got axed as as part of the Mm -hmm. budget. And there seemed to be a bit more of that with a struggle over editorial control, would you say? I I would say that there was, um, you know, if you're in politics in Connecticut, then you know how to hold a grudge. Well, you know that was their fig leaf. Uh, they were they were being offered five grand a day to 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 keep it up pending an, an, a re, another request for proposal. Period. There was a sweetheart contract that was basically given to them by you know Kevin Sullivan back way back when when he was no one else has bid on Senate it. president. Well, so it's not out to bid right now, but um, in the past, so yeah. so. Well, there have been people who have been interested in it. Mm. Um, yeah, so the state does own, yeah, the state does own all of the equipment, owns all of the the cameras. Um, and there so was new equipment sitting in boxes at the Capitol complex, right? There were. Right? There were 18 cameras sitting in boxes uh, in a hearing room. They needed the lenses, though. Right. And they needed uh. to be able to install them. And the bond money was cut for that. And then Malloy recently gave them some money back for that. But... It's going to go back out to bid in the spring. So it's a battle that's not over. Correct. <laughs> You're telegenic, Aaron. Maybe, you know, no, get, thanks. get some money together. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> uh, the governor's race. As you noted, there are a lot of people running or considering a, a run for governor. Is it way too early to determine who might be a front runner? Uh, there is no front runner at the moment. Do we see more people getting into the, the race between... Now and say the the first half of 2018. Well, they better because you got to be raising money now. Uh, I mean, if Susan Bicewitz wants to make her move, this she better be you know raising some money. And yeah, I mean, so at the moment we have uh, 22 Republicans, six Democrats, and I want to say five independent um, 
individuals who are interested in running for governor and and there are many more uh, in the wings um, deciding whether to get into this race or not, which is extraordinary that they would even have the ability to decide whether to get into the race um, because you would think that you know the field was pretty much determined and defined at the moment. And now the announcement that Attorney General George Jepson would not seek re-election kind of shook things up, didn't it? Well, it gave Chris Matty a place to where he could be a viable candidate. Yeah, no, it definitely, you know, so it took him out of the governor's race and put him in the attorney general's race. And then you also have uh, Representative William Tong. And who else is running for that race? Yeah, I don't know. But I'm deeply concerned that you actually know the exact number of people running. And I think we have to, you have to go on vacation soon. You don't have a spreadsheet yet? (laughs) I'm in denial. Yeah, I'm like, like literally having to track this stuff with a spreadsheet. Now, George Jepson's announcement, did that come as a surprise to you? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I would definitely say that that was he a had the safest job and the best job, at, you know, and he was the luckiest guy in Connecticut. But certainly took a lower profile than Richard Blumenthal did in that role with the number of press conferences he would have. Well, that would that's a hard standard to, to indeed. Meet, though. That is no, and it's not that his office wasn't doing any any work either. Right. Um, so it's just that he wasn't as, as visible in, in doing some of this work. So I think that they've, you know, they have a pretty heavy workload over there. You have seen more multi-state lawsuits where uh, you have a coalition of attorneys general going after perhaps, you know, pharmaceutical industry or something like that. I think that we're probably going to see a lot more of that, uh, with the Trump administration as it begins to kind of peel away some of these protections that the Obama administration put in place in various areas and, you know, the environment and, and drug pricing and that kind of stuff. I think Blumenthal had, a, he was involved with a lot of multi-state cases though too. I mean, the, the granddaddy was the tobacco, big mm. tobacco settlement. I mean, And they're still fighting the over the money and, and where it, it should be. Oh, yeah, that money is definitely swept every year into the general fund. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke about putting it into prevention. There's no tobacco lockbox. So certainly the budget in the 2018 session, what other topics do you see being at the the top of the pile in in terms of uh, lawmakers uh, speaking out about and and there being action on in an election year? I think that, you know, we're probably going to see transportation be a big issue, but um, I think issues like uh, recreational marijuana um, are going to come back with, you know, fast and furious now that we need some revenue. And we're going to see Massachusetts begin to implement that, I believe, in 2018. Uh, I don't think we've seen the last of the casino issues um, you know, and, and I don't know, are there anything? I bet Malloy would veto a recreational marijuana bill. Really? Yeah. He said he really hasn't taken, I don't know, I feel like he hasn't taken a firm stand on that. I, not, I'm just getting that feeling. Because, uh, hmm. I mean, if you start selling it as revenue, you're, it's a lost cause. I mean, you want to talk, because it's a big social step forward. You know, people driving around stoned, it's like, I'm not going to want to drive around at night with recreational marijuana. It's, it's dangerous enough just people drunk out there. Now, the casino issue has been a political hot potato. There's a proposal for a casino by MGM in Bridgeport. The Mashantucket Pequot and Mohegans want to build a satellite casino in East Windsor. Do you think one is uh, more likely to happen than the other? Well, at this point, I mean, the the East Windsor place is good to go, but Springfield's going to open. 
Mm-hmm. It's, gonna, it's too yes. late. The Indians were, for lack of a verb, dithering. I don't even know what dither means. That they were, they were just not doing what needed to be done in that first year, and, and it, it wasted you know another year. Right. No, that, that's true. So I I don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen. Um, you know, they've asked the the courts now to to weigh in on this issue, and we'll see what happens. You mentioned that. Asking the courts, this uh, this action or lack of action by the Bureau of Indian Affairs is really what has delayed the East Windsor proposal. Yeah, no, I mean, and so they had to file, you know, this lawsuit in the D.C. Circuit Court to ask, you know, hey, can you please come up with a decision either way? Because we need to know. And meanwhile, you know, Springfield is getting closer to finishing. That'll be... Less than a year now that it'll be open. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah 2018. Fall 2018. Yeah. Uh, my favorite bill that I think is going to come back, that I hope is going to come back, it died in the Children's Committee, and it, it was this bill that would ban shredded tires in playgrounds. Crumb and rubber, right? Crumb rubber, yeah. And it was killed basically by a conservative uh, co-chair, Len Susio from Meriden. And he, it was like the... One of the moments that I won't forget was in committee, he was saying, let's just wait for the EPA to finish their study on the, the volatile chemicals because there wasn't enough in the literature out there. And somebody somebody should uh, point that out to various people in, in the Capitol because those, those little kids inhaling those volatile chemicals from a foot away, you know, it's... It's not like me just playing soccer on a on a rubberized field, you know, which is fine. Just with all the crumb rubber, it ends up in the uh, the laundry. But it's the little kids inhaling the outgasses. Christine, any favorite bills for you? Um, I would like to see a cat licensing come back. I mean, we're we're missing out on a lot of revenue here, people. <laughs> I mean, how many cats are there in the state, you know? And we should be collecting revenue from them. Well, you know, municipalities of, would do with dogs. Animals, bear hunting, right? That that has been a oh, hot topic. Oh, yeah, bear hunting. Bear hunting. And, and maybe we'll, you know, take some action on, on uh, trophy hunting, on, you know, African trophy hunting. I think maybe in committee it'll be... Uh, it'll be watered down to clothing optional hunting instead of bear hunting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's try to erase that image, huh? <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. As as reporters who are at the Capitol day in and day out, can you provide some insight on what it's like to see lawmakers working with each other when they're not in front of the TV cameras? Do they really have a, a good working relationship as they, they mentioned so many times as they were crafting the bipartisan state budget? Yeah, I mean, I think that they they are friendly with the people with with each other. Um, there, there's not. Um, I mean, they're not warring with each other, and they're they're not arguing with each other. I mean, they definitely have different points of view um, that they bring to the issue. They've got factions that they have to satisfy, though. Themis Claritus in the House has yeah. the the dozen way out on the on the right wing. There's liberals uh, in the Democratic uh, caucuses. The Senate is just so so close in theory, but really with three conservative Democrats among 18, it's it's not going to bode well for the 200 million they've they've got to settle on soon. This past fall, we we saw the back and forth between lawmakers and the governor. How would you characterize that relationship? A- icy. 
I see. Yeah. No, that, that's a good adjective. Um, they are uh, not getting along at the moment. They have a they have a they have a tense relationship. <laughs> Is it basically the governor's contention that you know you guys built the budget and if it blows up, it's on you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he can he can do no wrong. All right. Well. Well, it's his final year, so you know, the preserving the legacy. Duck, yeah. Is, yeah, so preserving the legacy is going to be important for him. So we'll see. She is Christine Stewart, editor in chief at ctnewsjunkie.com, joined by Ken Dixon, Capitol Bureau Chief for Hearst Connecticut Media. Thanks so much for joining us this morning and happy new year. Happy New Year. Happy Aaron. New Year. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.